Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Welcome to the Curious Fox Podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And today we are revisiting our fourth episode entitled Metamores, Your Lover's Lover. An oldie but a goodie for sure. From the days where we held live events with panelists. I do miss those days. Yeah, we may need to get together this winter if get-togethers are going to be a thing (laughs) this winter. Mm -hmm. We will have to reconvene the curious But no, seriously, I think if things are still open for small events and safe gatherings in December, we should host an event in New York City and have all of those who would like to experience the Curious Fox podcast live and maybe like a fun after party. I love that I do miss the days like this episode where there were a bunch of panelists and questions Mm -hmm. and answers and I'm totally up for doing live ones again. So setting an intention for the winter when it's cooler. And hopefully we're open and find a cool venue, get together, get our audio sorted, unlike last episode, and (laughs) (laughs) do them, do them. I think they'll be a lot of fun. Yes, everyone make good choices out there in the world so that we can get together with you in December. Exactly. I think that should be the reason why people should make (laughs) good decisions because we want to have live Curious Fox events again. I love that. I love that. Until then... Back Mm -hmm. to metamors. Back to metamors. Mm -hmm. When I was exploring non-monogamy many, many, many moons ago, I felt like I thought through every type of relationship permutation and I was ready for most of it. Dating people, people that I date, dating other people, me dating other people while dating one person, like all the different permutations. But the one that I really didn't consider enough probably because it's the most elusive, was my relationship with other partners of the people I was dating. So essentially my lovers' lovers, uh, metamors, as we call them. At the time, I was dating men only and mostly men who date other women. So most of my, in fact, all of my metamors were women. I historically had a tempestuous relationship with my mother growing up and I went to an all-girls boarding school for many, many years for most of my education. So by the end of it all, I had found myself really not wanting to have any deep relationships with women at all. That was it. You were done. Totally. I was, And it's, it's like it's so, such a strange thing to say right now because right now some of the most closest people to me are women. At the time, mm-hmm. that was unfathomable for me. Most of my relationships with women were mostly carefully managed with women that I absolutely couldn't avoid. Like if I just couldn't avoid a certain woman in my life for whatever reason, I was just like (laughs) at at an arm's length, heavily managed, minimum exposure. And to be frank, I was a little scared of my own kind. Mm. So when I started dating men with partners, I really didn't know what to expect. If you think about it, all of the archetypes of women loving the same man they mostly end in war or death of some sort (laughs) i mean check out game of thrones right it's Mm -hmm. it's all about loving the the wrong person uh and then there's war and death and destruction (laughs) but i mean look at all the archetypes that we know like wife and the mistress the mother-in-law and the wife even the Mm -hmm. tension between mother and daughter is a thing So there are really no good role models of women loving the same man and and everyone thriving, right? So what about you? Where were you at? Yeah, no, what you're saying resonates with me. You know, I think I only had examples of drama, mistrust, jealousy amongst women. And Mm -hmm. I definitely played into that myself. Mm -hmm. I think it took me a few years to break that pattern in thinking about the folks who were partnered with my partners 
I think that there was a lot of things <laughs> that I didn't think mm-hmm. about when I entered into my first open relationship. Metamorphs was just one of them. I don't think that I thought about how my partners would get along with each other. I didn't think about what would happen if the entire world shut down and we would have to choose whether we quarantine apart or together. I didn't think of that one day I would have a, a nomadic poly life traveling back and forth from house to house with my mauve travel bag, hustling my work and podcast equipment back and forth. Yeah. So there was a lot. There was a lot that I didn't keep in mind and did not consider and did not realize that I would need to work on until I was in it. And I was like, oh, this is not healthy. I need to do something differently. I have to say, I consider myself very, very lucky on this front. My first metamorphic experience really colored the way I look at relationships. Um, look at those particular relationships, I should say. Even though I was super tentative and imagined a lot of tension and imagined the worst, really was like fraught internally about these these relationships. When I was ready, my first metamorph scooped me up and loved the hell out of me. Hmm. She was kind and inclusive and generous. I would go as far as to say she single-handedly helped me heal my relationships with women. Wow. And frankly, set the standard for me. Having seen how she handled our relationship, I realized what's possible, what's really available, and really made it a matter of pride to cultivate my relationships with my metamors where available. She should do a workshop for us at some point. She should, we need to like, we all need to take classes on how to be that kind of metamore. Hashtag metamore goals. Yeah, that's exactly. Hashtag metamore goals. If that hashtag isn't available, we're totally making it available. (laughs) You know, hashtag relationship goals, whatever. Hashtag metamore goals. That's like ninja level relationship skills, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Jen, Jen is a magical creature. And so the relationship that we were all in together, uh, Jen, myself and the guy we were dating dissolved many, many years ago, but she and I remain good, close friends and I love her. I just caught up with her last week and she was telling me about her new relationship woes and I was telling her about, you know, how I'm feeling and she was telling me about the stars and what my horoscope is telling me and how to listen to my heart. She's just like magical, amazing creature mm-hmm. and I so, so, so value her in my life. Um, and then my other significant metamorph relationship was entirely different from the one I have with Jen. I was more experienced and we were in a co-living situation, so it was a different situation. And she and I were, are, remain to be um, strong-minded women in a good way. I was not worried about being threatening or felt I had to manage her feelings in any way. We were good communicators. I feel like she would just tell me what's on her mind. Um, So in that way, she actually kind of made it a safe space to communicate really clearly and well. Mm -hmm. To this day, I maintain that we actually wouldn't be friends if we weren't dating the same guy. She might have something to say about that, but I maintain that we wouldn't. But we made a real effort to nurture a connection through respect first which turned into a friendship which then turned into love like not romantic love but like two women that really care about each other to love each other that wants to support each other and Mm -hmm. you know we live together really well and we respect each other's space and we I would say gracefully danced around each other making sure that everyone was having their their needs met so that was a that was also a great relationship at the time when we were living together, I would say she would be the person that I would call if I was in trouble and I couldn't get hold of my partner. Like I she was, mm-hmm. she would like she was, you know, she she was my rock. And again, like these two relationships really showed me what kind of potential there is in metamorph relationships, especially yeah. between women. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of really all I know, but I feel like society forces the relationship between women, but I don't know, I found I found them to be very, very nurturing in this situation. Yeah, that's really special. I I tentatively saying this. So even as I'm saying it, I'm like saying it cautiously. I would like the experience in the future mm-hmm. to be that metamorph. I was thinking about that. I'm like, do I want to be in that position again? No, I would. I really would like to be in the place and have the type of relationship where I can be. I want to be the gen in the relationship. Yeah, I want a yeah, role yeah. model what that could look like. And we get to see a little bit of that in, in this episode. In this episode, we hear from panelists with different kinds of relationships with their metamors. And we hear the good, the bad and the ugly. Because sometimes mm-hmm. it does not go well. And so mm-hmm. it's really incredible to listen to folks who are different stages of the journey, different experiences, and to learn little tidbits that we can take back into our own experience. So we hope that you enjoy the episode. 
So I will start by introducing my friend Amber here, who's a, a non-traditional relationship a wedding planner. I would love for her to tell you, tell a bit about herself. Thank you, Effie. Hi, friends. My name is Amber D'Amato. I consider myself polyamorous. I have a one non-binary partner that is married to someone else. And then I also date a couple. And so I feel that right now in that in those relationships, I feel like I'm thriving. I'm having a really good time. I love them very much. I feel very loved and cared for in those relationships. And yeah, I feel like I appreciate Curious Fox because I've been, I can't make it all the time, but I am very grateful to Curious Fox and to Effie specifically for sort of teaching me a little bit how to navigate polyamory and ethical non-monogamy because before these relationships, I was with someone for many years on and off in sort of a poly-ish relationship (laughs) that was basically just like an open relationship, like minus the good communication. And I knew that I like always liked the idea of an open relationship and I was okay with us like having like sex with other people, but I really wanted that communication too. And so when that long time relationship ended, I met Effie and you know, we, spend a lot of time together as as friends, but also just in her uh, professional work, I really admire what she does. And so I feel like I've learned some really good tools and I feel like I'm grateful for them. <laughs> yeah. Thank <you>. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. And to my left, I have Dirty Lola, um, this podcaster and um, a dildo swinger, that's what you say. Do you a slinger? Yeah. Um, Lola has an amazing podcast called Sex at a Go-Go. It's a, it's a variety, a sex ed variety show with Q&A. So um, check that one out, but I'll, I'll get you to, to intro yourself. Hi, I'm Lola, Dirty Lola. I go by either. Miss <laughs> Dirty if you're nasty. Um, yeah, I'm a edutainer. That's mostly what I deal in as far as the education that I like to dole out. I work in a sex shop in Williamsburg called Shag and I do a whole bunch of other stuff. I have like eight jobs filming a web series right now. It's just like a lot of stuff. People are like, what do you do? I don't know. Um, a lot, a lot. So right now I'm in the midst of divorce because I don't know how else to describe it until you sign the paperwork. So it's, I finally moved out. I was like living, we were living together like Bert and Ernie. That was like the running joke because we had two beds because I'm not sleeping in the bed. You're fucking this new person in without me. Um, so yeah, that's great. But I'm, I'm living on my own again after 17 years. We met, I know, I know my whole goddamn life. Yeah, we met when I was 19 and I'm 37 and I just like, I'm like, oh, I don't think I've ever functioned as an adult without adult supervision. (laughs) I mean, because that's what happens. You become like codependent and you're like, hey, do this thing. And then I'm like, oh, hmm, this is great. But also I have a long distance partner who kind of came along at the tail end of my marriage ending, who is amazing. And I got to experience that oil and water part of polyamory where your life is falling apart and everything is awful, but your heart is bursting in full of love and it's happening simultaneously. And you're not sure if you're crying in the shower because you're so happy or you're so sad. So yeah, it's, it's good times. Hopeful ending. ending. (laughs) Before I move on, do you want to give us a little background how you got to be non-monogamous? It just happened. No. I was in year 10 of the 17 year relationship and super unhappy and uh, had an affair and realized during that affair that like, I didn't want to leave. And it wasn't like, uh, I don't love you. It was like, I'm kind of bored, but also like looking for something else. And it was with a, a, a first boyfriend. <laughs> like my life. It was a first, the boyfriend who broke up with me in high school, who I was the most in love with came back into my life to apologize. Like everything you ever wanted to get that letter from like that boy who like made you feel like shit. And they're like, I'm sorry. And I want to see you. And I saw you online and you look so good. And you want to go have drinks. That shit is poison. (laughs) Just say no, because you will have an affair. But that affair was, (laughs) it's what got me to kind of look inward and realize like, I've been so unhappy because I was living a very poly kind of existence in my teens and I had multiple partners and I shut that down because I didn't know it was a viable relationship structure. And I thought I was just being super slutty. Uh, and that like that perfect person will come around and take the sluttiness out of you and you get married and you're cured and monogamous and happy because that's what they tell you. So, (laughs) so like through that, and it took us 
like maybe two or three years to like fully open. And like maybe the first red flag should have been when he met the person, my, my ex left me for his metamor to, we'll talk about that, but they, to go be monogamous. But the first red flag should have been, he never wanted to be polyamorous until he started dating her. And then it was like, okay. And I was like, jackpot for me, but also, well, I'm just going to go with it. But we had, I mean, we had a fruitful time and I always say I'm not upset we're getting a divorce because it's not, we don't need to be together if we want to be different, live different kind of relationship styles. I was upset about all the other crap we'll talk about tonight, but that's how I've, I've gotten here. And I'm now I'm kind of redefining my poly and who I am as a single person. Cause it's like, am I single if I have a boyfriend that lives in another state? Maybe. I don't know how to call how to define that. We'll see. Thank you. Thank you so much that we're going to dig into all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and last but not least, of course, I want to introduce Kitty, who is um, a, another podcaster, a Loving Without Boundaries, I thoroughly recommend it, uh, which was originally a blog, um, then became a podcast. And then Kitty started doing speaking and coaching and then wrote the book, uh, Jealousy Survival Guide, which you probably have heard me recognize um, to recommend. Um, anybody asks me about jealousy, it's one of the resources that I, one of the top resources I recommend. And I'm so glad that she's here. And, um, drove all the way from Pennsylvania right? from Washington DC from area. DC I'm sorry uh, yeah uh, Washington DC area and uh, to be on the panel so thank you for coming yeah well I'm super excited to be here really really grateful and I'm grateful of course for Evie, Effie for having me and meeting everybody here so my name is Kitty Shambliss and you already know that I have my blog I started loving without boundaries about six or seven years ago now and I had no idea what I was doing when I created that blog. It was kind of more like a live journal to figure out what the hell was going on with my feelings. And then eventually, um, I started the podcast about three years ago. And I'll just kind of go back in time and just give you a little bit of my origin story. So I'm a recovering Catholic. So <laughs> so I, apparently, we have some other recovering Catholics here. I went to 12 years of Catholic school. And so I, you know, all the agita that comes with growing up Catholic and learning, you know, all the fucked up things that I was taught in, um, in Catholicism. And it took me a really long time. Um, I'm actually having my 50th birthday this year, which I can't believe it's taken. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, it's honestly taken me my whole life really to undo a lot of what I was taught in Catholic school. You know, I was brought up with a lot of shame and guilt around sex and around what confession is and all of that. I never really understood all of that. So I didn't really start dating until college. And I started doing like, you know, what good girls were supposed to do. And I thought I was supposed to go find a man to marry and have the 2.5 kids in the picket fence. But, you know, a funny thing happened on that journey, which is I became a cheating serial monogamist and all my friends were getting married and doing the 2.5 kids. And here I was kind of doing this upgrade thing. I kept like having one person over here and then I was, ooh, he looks better. And if I, if it's going to be the rest of my life, for this person, you know, I'm going to, you know, go test that out before I leave, you know, bachelor number one over here. And it became this vicious cycle. And I started to feel bad about it, um, about all the cheating. And I also um, went through a period of depression and just a really difficult time in my life. So um, eventually I met the man who is now my husband and he was also a former cheater. So we had some just really honest conversations around that. And we just decided at that time, I didn't know the word polyamory at the time. We just decided that we were going to define our relationship the way we wanted to, not based on what society or anybody else was telling us to do. And eventually we did get married and we just left out the forsake all others and didn't have a traditional wedding. And then eventually we kind of entered non-monogamy through the, the swinging community, which was a lot of fun and also helped me not feel emotionally claustrophobic, which I liked. But um, eventually a friend of mine introduced me to the book, The Ethical Slut. And pretty much my whole life changed after, <laughs> after I read even the first three pages. And I just thought, you know, all these years, like first I was really joyful. I was like, oh my God, I'm polyamorous and I just had no idea. But then there was another part of me that was really angry because I, was, I thought, you know, why didn't anyone ever tell me that this was even a possibility, you know? And so that partly led me eventually to be doing the work that I do now because I'm very, very passionate about helping other people on their journey, no matter 
matter where they're at, if they're 20 years into the process and an adult, or if it's a teenager or somebody in college, um, I'm really passionate about helping other people get tools and, you know, help them just get to not stay in the suck as long as I did. Cause I really struggled with depression and a midlife crisis for about five years and it was awful and I don't recommend it. So that's partly what led me here to create the the blog and the podcast and become a coach and eventually to write the Jealousy Survival Guide, which is in no small part from learning how to deal with my metamors. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm, uh, I'm also interested in your relationship today. Oh, yes. So I am still married to that same man. We met later in life. So we've been married. We've been together for 15 years, married for 12. And I also have my other partner, my boyfriend, if you want to call him that, who we've been in a relationship for three and a half years. And he lives with us also. He's lived with us for about two and a half years now. So it's just me and my two partners. They also have other partners. And I'm sure we'll get to that later. And our fur babies. Um, and just for clarity, they're not in a relationship with each other. They are not. They are both um, heterosexual. So I'm the pivot partner in our household. And then uh, you cohabit together. Yes. Cool. Awesome. Awesome stories. I can't wait to dig in. And I do. I have a few story, a few questions that I want to kind of start things off with. I just hadn't thought about that metamor relationship. I never thought that I would have a healthy, ongoing relationship that I could nurture with my metamors. Did you? And how did you imagine they would be? I guess I also didn't really give it any thought, but it was also partly because we went in through the swinger community. And what we ended up doing was we went to Hedonism, a nudist resort, and we ended up meeting a couple in the hot tub that ironically lived near my hometown. And so that's kind of how we entered the swinger world. But what ended up happening was um, we did become intimate with them, but also they became really close friends and they're still really close friends today. And it's been like 14 years. Um, so we're actually not intimate with them anymore, but we're really good friends. So like the metamorph thing was never even, you know, something to worry about at that point. And then with um, my husband has two partners. One lives locally uh, near us and the other one lives uh, not locally in another state. And they're both married and have children. And both of those people were my friends first before anything ever happened in terms of relationships. There's also been occasional intimacy there as well. So it was another thing where it was like, oh, you're my people. And, you know, so there was always kind of that sense of love and belonging and building that trust already. So it kind of took away a lot of that fear. So for me, the challenges with metamorphosis has really been with my, my other relationship. So the relationship that I'm in now um, with my boyfriend, he has a wife who also lives in another, in another state and they have a son together. And um, she's very reluctantly in this situation. She also grew up Catholic. She's very reluctantly in a polycule and would never even use that word, you know. Um, so that's been a very long journey, but we um, it's been getting better and better in that situation. But it's literally taken three and a half years for us to, you know, hang out in the same room and talk to each other. But um, but each day gets a little bit better. And then I have all kinds of, you know, crazy stories from the relationship I had before that. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to hold the mic too long. We'll just see what happens with the uh, conversations. Um, thank you. Yeah. What about you, Lila? What did you, did you imagine that metamorph relationship? And if you did, what did it look like? I didn't think about it. I mean, we were going, I also swinger started out swinging because <laughs> I was, I was luring him into non-monogamy. I really was. I was like, Ooh, you want to have a threefold? <laughs> I'm, I identify as queer at the time I identified as bi. So I was like, I'm down. I miss women. Let's do it. And then that turned into going to swing clubs, which we spent a lot more time <laughs> eating bacon and drinking vodka than we did having sex with other people, but it was still fun. Twitter became this place where I started making all of these friends and meeting them in real life. And that is where I met the woman who became his girlfriend, my metamor. And we were all friends first. And so we were all hanging out and doing things and not necessarily like having sex. And, and then as things started opening more, the people I was dating were single and didn't have partners. And so that wasn't a thing. And then as they started getting closer and started like, okay, we're dating she at the time had a girlfriend and a husband and the husband was like dabbling and trying to date people. And we kind of, and they have two children and we kind of got thrust into this like family thing. And I like, I come from a very big family who have not been near in a very long time. So I'm just like people. <laughs> and 
it was kind of this exciting thing, but also like I had, I don't even think I knew what a fucking metamorph. I didn't think about it. I was just like, oh, these are people that I liked and like to spend time with. And that was just kind of where, where we were. And then it all went wrong. No. <laughs> As it does sometimes. Ominous. Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, what about you, Amber? Did you, did you think about that? You taught me the word metamorph. <laughs> I never knew what it was before I met you, but I had the opposite experience of you in my all girls school. I was always, and my mom is super uh, feminist and I was raised to like honor the goddess and appreciate women and lift women up. And I've just always been in sort of a, that sort of space. So even when people were like catty and weird about like boyfriends or whatever, like I was always like, why are you doing that? Like, fuck that guy. Like, go help the girlfriend out or whatever. So I think it was something that that naturally I was, I guess, something that I wanted. And and now that I know what the word is, it's like, it didn't occur to me that it was a thing when I was into polyamory. But I I like where it's, I like what it is. (laughs) Yeah. So there are no kind of guides and models for for that particular relationship other than these like horror stories. Um, are there any models that you sort of look at? Do you sort of think of like, oh, you know, I borrow from here and kind of it's a bit like that. Do you think of any models like, can you, that you rely on to nurture that relationship? So currently I don't borrow from my old relationship. <laughs> that was not... No, I don't know if y'all know Kevin Patterson, but like he's pretty big deal in polyamory. But I envy the way the flow though and the way his metamors, if you ever if you follow him on Facebook, the best thing I ever find is like how much shade a number of his metamors will throw and like the pylon. And I'm like, that's love. That's like teamwork and love. But that's how you know stuff is going right when everybody has the same in jokes and the way they can rib that person. And it's like it's a magical thing to see those women throw shade. Um, but I love how they all aren't, some of them are closer than others. Some of them like will come visit, like his wife was recently in New York visiting one of his metamors that live here. And like, they do those kinds of things and they do things without him completely. But then there are people who are kind of like on the outskirts and it's not that there's a problem. It's just like, just this the way it is. And I, I just like the way there's this, not an expectation of like, you must be at this level, like we got to be sister wives or I don't want to know you. There's like this nice flow and this in and out. And I try to like be that person who can be the, I'm flexible to what you want. I would say for me, when I was dealing with my own emotions, I tend to become a big nerd and I just start reading every single thing I can get my hands on. So I guess first I kind of go, I, I go outward in terms of looking for research and kind of go inward and in, in dealing with it. And that's partly why I wrote a blog was to kind of talk about my feelings. But I think today um, it's how I go outward is I love going to polyamory conferences and doing events like this and just like the the sea of people that go to those type of events. I, so there's not really one person I can say I model off of. I like f- kind of enjoying the energy of seeing people who are in a space where they're allowed to be exactly who they can be. But I will say, I think it was the year before last, I did see Cunning Minx speak at RelateCon, the first RelateCon in Boise, Idaho. And she gave a couple workshops that were really great, but I liked the way she framed it, where she said that one of her first relationships with her metamor, who was married to her partner, that woman did not want to speak to her. And it was very cantankerous. And she just, she basically decided that she was creating a boundary that that was not okay. And she was not willing to be in any relationship where that um, metamor was not okay having, like being civil and being in the same room with her. And I thought, that's cool. That's cool that she got to a place where she was like, no, this is my boundary. You know, so I kind of, I guess I would say, you know, in that sense, maybe she's a role model. And it just made me think about, you know, what, what are my boundaries? And I think where I got to is a little more flexible, but that I would prefer, I guess is the way I would describe it. I would prefer to enjoy my metamorphs company and definitely to be civil and generally, you know, kind of the same thing. Like I'm kind of not okay with it. And luckily, like I said, in the beginning with my current boyfriend, we were in that place where she did not want anything to do with me. She did not want to meet me. And it took about a year and a half, but because it did get better and because I really loved him and I wanted the relationship to work out, we just kept navigating through all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Any thoughts? 
There's a lot of nice couples in our community that are really good role models for me. And uh, one that comes to mind, just they've been together for 14 years. And as, as you say, sometimes they have their house in order. And so I like to talk to them about how chips, tips and tricks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely finding people who have their house in order is a, a good people to hang out with. So most of us kind of have mostly positive stories about our relationship with metamors, but I also want to acknowledge that it's not always um, puppy dogs and rainbows, as I like to say. So I want to kind of find out about what are the struggles, if any, you've had with your metamors. My latest struggle with my metamor is that basically the, the long story short is that it was all in my head. <laughs> so there's a happy ending. But initially, I was having a really hard time just communicating and having time with my partner, not even with my metamor, because she wasn't answering my texts or like responding to my invitations for things or like I got her like a gift and I was trying to like bring it over to her house and and she didn't write back to my texts. And so in my head, I like built up this whole story in my head that she hated me because I'm like fucking her partner and she thinks I'm scum. And, you know, I just, I just like let myself go down this rabbit hole because I, I guess I sort of hold my metamorphs to like a high standard of communication because I, maybe I over communicate, but in my mind, I'm like, there's no such thing. But I, I, and I, and I also felt like, you know, why isn't she getting back to me? And it really started affecting not only me, but it really started affecting my time with my partner. And, and then at some point, like we were all going to go on an adventure together. And, and, and I was like, okay, before we go, like, I need to like, I need to like get her in a corner and like talk to her and be like, is everything okay? <laughs> what can I do better? <laughs> and, you know, and like I said, it was a happy ending when we finally did have that conversation. She said, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. I just, I've been really busy with my own things. I have like a lot of stuff going on in my life and it's not personal. I just, I just needed some space and time for myself. And I, I really, I really like you. I, I really value you in our lives. I'm, you know, I'm happy that we're going on this adventure together and, and just my whole body and my whole soul was just like, oh. <laughs> but it went on for a few weeks and it was, I mean, maybe a few months actually. And it, and it was, it was very challenging for me. And, and I noticed it creeping into like a lot more than I thought it would like everyday thoughts. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I actually wanted to tag on a, um, a question at the, at the, at the end, which you answered, which is then, you know, given the struggles, what sort of conscious um, steps are you taking to solve those problems or to address them? And, and then I think often the answer is communication, right? And that's kind of the, the path that you went down on. Right. But what do you do if someone doesn't communicate back mm -hmm. with you or doesn't answer your texts or your right. emails or your phone calls or like sure. your little notes to reach out like yeah. what what do you do yeah, yeah um that's a that's a good question and um i know that we've talked about it before as well and i think just to consider that everybody has different expectations from this relationship as i said there's no models there's no guidelines there's no a name that like you can't point to that that's how it should be and i definitely have worked with people who cover the the range of i want to be in a don't ask don't tell like i don't even want to know this person exists and um, the way they manage it is they you know they will have a, a slot in the calendar that essentially blocks off the time and the one partner is not going to be at home and, and the other partner just doesn't want to know what happens during that time. Uh, and there's sort of that one end of the spectrum where people just don't want to make room, don't even want to know that their metamors exist to all the way to kind of where we are, which is like, you know, living together and loving and sharing and all that kind of stuff and anywhere in between. And I think it's just at some point you kind of had to realize, kind of figure out where your metamor is. I think that's really important in this relation, in these relationships, kind of where your metamor is and to sort of stick with what, where your where you end, where they start. And I think that definitely is being learned. Um, experience for me. Hey, what about you? What about you, Kitty? Do you uh, do you want me to share some of the ugly? Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the boyfriend I had before my current boyfriend, he was really like my first polyamorous relationship out, like full on poly relationship outside of my marriage. And we were together for about five years. And he was an actor, and he was passionate and sexy um, and poor and. <laughs> <laughs> and and kind of he would end up and also younger than me um so he would end up choosing as his partners kind of these similar like kind of young like a little bit like dramatic you know actresses 
maybe poor, maybe not. And he was also very interested in group sex. So we would have these weird experiences where he'd be kind of like pressuring me to, you know, jump in the sack with whoever he was seeing. And um, so that's probably when I had to really learn how to deal with some of my jealousy or just my various emotions. And, um, And then he also was so broke that he ended up moving in with us more out of financial need. And um, it, and we were, like I said, for, together for five years. So towards the last period, we ended really badly where uh, <laughs> I sang in, um, I was a lead singer in rock bands for about 18 years. And for me, gig days were very intense. You know, I'd practice my music all day long. I'd get the jitters and the shits and everything. And so I'm, I'm putting on my makeup and I'm getting ready for this gig. And there, the doorbell rings, it's dark out. I'm like, who the heck's coming to the house now? And I answer the door and it's a sheriff. And I'm like, hello, um, how are you? And he asked for my boyfriend's name. Was he home? And I said, no, he's not home. He said, well, does he live here? And he said, I said, yes, he does. And he said, well, I have a restraining order for him. Um, And I said, by who? And he gave a woman's name I'd never heard of before. So apparently he was cheating on me with a woman that he pissed off so much that he got a restraining order against him. So that's a pretty bad metamorph story for you. And, um, and I forgave him that one time. Fast forward about four months later, we're having um, a Sunday, you know, it, it looks all pretty like, you know, me and my boyfriend and my husband were having brunch and it's all nice. And I get a text and it was a text from a woman I did not know was my metamor. And she said, by the way, I'm sleeping with your boyfriend and I'm, I'm pissed off at him because he won't tell you about it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, you know, one time, shame on me. Second time you're out. And so that was this big, dramatic, awful, awful breakup, as you can imagine. So I think it is fair to, especially people, you know, even because even though I wrote a book or I speak on panels, it doesn't mean that things are all puppy dogs and rainbows all the time. And, you know, how do you think you learn all the lessons? Sometimes it's by stepping in a pile of shit. I'm going to avoid that shit next time. Not that you can always avoid it. And also with my husband, um, sometimes part of the reason I wrote the book on, on jealousy as I did was... When I was in that structure where I was with that particular original boyfriend and he was with his girlfriend, um, they were very affectionate and cuddly and cute and adorable. And my boyfriend at the time was not. So I was dealing with a lot of um, jealous feelings around scarcity, around the affection and the touching and all the I love yous. And, you know, so that that fed into me um, writing the book. Um, I'm also interested if you would mind talking a bit about your boyfriend's wife right because that's a relationship that's evolving and I'm really interested in how it's evolving it wasn't great but you said it's getting better so with that at the beginning they had a very different history where they went through a rocky part of their marriage where they didn't know if they were going to stay together and um, that's when my my boyfriend kind of decided that he was polyamorous and so they almost broke up but they decided for whatever reason whether it was because they had a son together a young a young boy or not um, they decided to try and work that out. But he was dating other people. But at that time, I'm sure she was healing from, um, there was some infidelity that happened. And so I'm sure she was probably angry about that. So she didn't want anything to do with anyone that he was seeing. And so I was maybe girlfriend number three or four on that journey. And so of course she wanted nothing to do with me. So, and I was in this space where I'm like writing a book and I'm on panels and speaking it, you know, so it was very difficult for me when I was like, what do you mean she doesn't want to meet me? You know, but also like it just went, it went against like, I've worked really hard to come from, you know, values of integrity and transparency and honesty. So it was really hard for me. Like I wasn't interested in a don't ask, don't tell sort of situation. So it's been a really long journey. And, um, and I, I knew you were going to ask me this question. So I tried to think about, you know, how did we slowly get to a place where we are now, which isn't perfect because for me now where we are is um, she's a teacher and they, they see each other every couple months. We live in the D.C. area, Washington, D.C., and she lives in Florida with their son. So she's kind of like a single mother um, down there. And she's not, of course, seeing anyone else because she's really monogamous at, at heart. So we're at the point where because she's a teacher, she will come stay with us for three weeks in the summertime. And I was telling Effie earlier, like anybody coming to stay with you for three weeks is challenging. 
But then when it's your reluctant metamor and I, I've struggled from infertility. So also having an eight year old around the house has its own, like there's joy about it, but it's also, you know, kind of tugs at my heartstrings. So there's lots of difficulty around that, but I'm still happy about where we are, but it's taken us three and a half years. So for me, some of the things that helped on that journey was really first working on my own feelings first, which again is probably what prompted me to write the book was doing all that research and just figuring out, you know, how do I deal with my own feelings of whether it's insecurity or jealousy or fear of abandonment, you know, who knows where that comes from. And also just really practicing radical self-care, you know, a lot of compassion and self-care. And so for me, it really starts inside of myself first. And then also when I'm ready, you know, once I figure out what I need, maybe from somebody else, like asking them, knowing that they have the ability to say yes or no, nonviolent communication, right? We don't make demands, we make requests. So working up the courage and the vulnerability to say, hey, you know, I'm feeling really shitty today or lonely or sad. You know, do you think maybe you can give me some reassurance or some appreciation? Or can you just even appreciate like when your family comes to visit for three weeks, it's really fucking hard. And just, you know, having that candid conversation. Um, and sometimes that's not easy because sometimes he may not be in a space where he's ready to give me those things. So I have to be in a space to hear no and then go back to the self-care, right? <laughs> and I would say also just, I, I joke around with my boyfriend that he's in my life to teach me patience. So just really constantly working on patience and uh, not just with him or in that relationship, but just patience in general, because we do live in an immediate gratification sort of society and just knowing like it can take years to build relationships. And also it's not just about me and my needs. You know, I, I want to respect her. And I want if I really want to get to know her, I also have to respect her her boundaries and honor where she's at. And so there's also patience for her, you know, to not try and change her or where she's at and not try and change my boyfriend and where he's at and, and to respect that they're trying to raise a son together, you know, so to give them space and to really honor that. And as far as my direct relationship with, with that metamorph, I just tried to be like double down on the kindness, you know, just, um, it started out like I gave her a gift through my boyfriend. I'm like, here, give her this little gift. It's from me, you know, and that kind of just opened the door. And I just tried to like very gently let her know, like, I'm not scary. You know, I'm a nice person and just keep reinforcing that over and over again. And then by doing that, like tell your wife, I said, hello, you know, send her this cute little bitmoji, you know, very little steps, just building brick by brick by brick. And that took us, it took us a year and a half before she finally was willing to stop by our house just to meet my husband and I for about 15 minutes. But, you know, so just little baby steps and now they stay for three weeks at a time. So it's just, you know, and, you know, now I give them Christmas presents and birthday cards, you know, so just kind of reinforcing it constantly. You're good. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> definitely when in doubt, just defaulting to respect is definitely where I found to negotiate that space uh, and also respecting the boundaries. It's work, but it's like consciousness around that relationship as well. So yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> tell us. So when we started really getting into the like, okay, we're we're with them. I always looked at myself as we are, even though I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't dating her and I dabbled, like we talked about earlier, like kind of her husband, and I had crushes, but she kind of made that a hard thing to pursue. And she, at the time when we met, had a girlfriend who was also married. So there were six of us. So we had the first year and change. We had a lot of like Insta orgies because you got six people. <laughs> you don't need to go anywhere. So they would like come for the weekend and we would like set up the living room and like all do different things like have sex in different configurations and whatever because you got six people <laughs> and it was a lot of fun but it was also this time of like trying to learn how to communicate with this person and so I got told I was jealous a lot and I did a lot of work I read like the ethical sluts chapter that that literal chapters falling out of the book from how many times I've gone through it and highlighted and every conference I went to or anything that had anything about jealousy, I was there because I was being told I was the bad guy. I, this was my problem. But at the same time, I was also dealing with somebody who was supremely dramatic and very... I don't know, jealous and greedy. And I say those things in a way of like, literally her husband was inside of me. And I'm very like, I kind of have a hard time 
like being focusing and I get like out of my head and start paying attention to people in the room. And like, I guess my ex and they were having some issues because he had performance anxiety. And I just remember her pushing him off of her and grabbing her, her husband. And I'm like, Kegels. Like, I mean, no, like he's, we're fucking. And, and then the next morning she said, we all rejected her and we were all awful. And this is what we're trying to make pancakes. There's kids who are waking up and she's crying and that everybody rejected her. And I'm like, y'all were literally there are six people. You had sex with two people. I watched you do it. And then you interrupted my sex <laughs> and you're mad and you're crying. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're lucky. I haven't punched you in your face yet. <laughs> and so looking back, but I kept being told I'm the bad guy. You're jealous. You're this, you're that. And it was like, okay. And I d- dealt with that for a really, really long time. And we had a lot of good spots where we would get into this really great groove and I would communicate with her and we were doing okay. And, but when it came to my ex, she would just shut down and it would get to the space where she said, go, I don't want to hear things from you. And I'm like, well, here's the thing. He's shitty at communicating and you know this and I know this. And he literally will not tell you things until like right before. So I'm trying to stop there from being problems between us because this keeps happening. And she dramatic, no, and, uh, and you're being awful and you're trying to break us up. And I'm like, I'm just trying to have a relationship with you that isn't combative. And so there was a lot of that. And, and really end of the day, it was a lot of me doing work that was maybe, I won't say unnecessary, but a lot of me feeling like the villain and coming out of all of this and going to therapy and having, I hate saying like people save you, but I don't know how I would have functioned not having my partner and his wife in my life because I was coming out of this space of just feeling like not just a failure. I'm a horrible human being. I brought this on myself and like, like, oh, maybe this isn't true. And maybe I'm not this bad person. And so having a partner who's like, I love you. And I don't, I don't see those things he sees in you. And I also understand he's like, I get you get fiery. And my metamor is uh, part Mexican. So he's like, I live with this. <laughs> and uh, he's like, no, you're passionate and it's okay for you to be passionate. And he's like, when you have somebody who talks to you, like he's a therapist, he doesn't therapize me, but he also is really good at communication and also good at like, I see you, you don't trust anybody. You're really like shaky. I'm not mad at you about those things. And having somebody like see me so clearly, but also be okay with the really shitty parts of me that were just right at the surface made it so much easier for me to communicate like, Hey, I'm scared or this is where I am. And then when it came to my new metamor just how much damage had been done with having somebody who did the kind of things she did in, in the relationship. And like people go, Oh, she, she ended your marriage. I'm like, no, no, no. It takes more than that. Like he let that happen. And he also fed into it. And then, so it's a whirlwind. And I did do some things in our relationship, but at the end of the day, it's not just her, but I will say she did like, she did a lot of dismantling of me. And not necessarily with the relationship because at the, they were trying to push me to ask for the divorce. That's what I've found out now that they were trying to fuck me up so much that I asked for the divorce. I know it's so nice when you start talking to your ex in a clear way, but with my, my meta, my current metamor, having somebody who from the beginning of our relationship reached out to talk about us. We, we rarely would talk about her husband. We would, she like, we were getting to know each other. She loves books and like, this is the stuff. And we talk and she's, she has, she Disney bounds. I don't know if y'all know what that is where you like wear the colors of a character, but you don't necessarily dress like the character. So every morning I get a bound and she's just really about us building our relationship. And that's how that started. We were building a relationship while I was falling in love with him and it had my relationship with her had nothing to do with whether or not I was with him. It was about the two of us creating a friendship. 
And then as things moved on, when things started getting hard for her, because they were newly opened up, like I was his, not his first partner, but it was like, when I met him, they were closed. And then like the following year or so they were like, Oh, he's like, we're open. Would you like to hook up? (laughs) 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 But they had been in relationships and she was still in a very unsteady place. And having come from that, it was really easy for me to be like, I see you. And like, I'm here for you, but she never put that on me. Like it was always, this is where I am. This is not you. And she would express like her fears and things, but it was never in a like, I don't want you to be with him type of way or I don't want you to be with her. It was like, this is where I am. Yeah. Sounds like healing. It's a lot. Of Sounds healing. like healing from a lot of trauma. Yeah. 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 No. Um, thank you. I, I, I like that it at least has a, a happy ending yeah. of like in healing and, and um, a positive, a new positive relationship. I can ask him a million questions, but this is about uh, you guys, about the foxes. And this is why we ask you to bring your curiosity. Any questions? Hi, I had a question. And I think you both mentioned this, but how did you navigate, manage the feelings of having a friend then become a metamorph rather than like your partner finding the person, but it's like your friend first? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I feel like that's where I would struggle more with like the jealousy of like the friendship and like, you know, my friend in a way that I don't know my friend. Yeah. So it's also a little bit sort of relationship transition. You have to kind of manage the transition as well. So my husband has been in that relationship. I, I want to say like eight years now. And for me, it's a little bit about loss, um, actually, because she and I had become really close even though she she's a little bit of an introvert, we ended up um, becoming like email friends, even though she only lives 20 minutes away. And, and because she's an introvert, she would like, you know, share her feelings over email. And we were, you know, just becoming these really great friends. And what ended up happening, um, we call it Playdar. If you start to wonder if uh, she was married at the time and uh, we had Playdar, like, are they in an open relationship? I don't know. And eventually we found out that they were. But then what ended up happening was she ended up getting a divorce divorce. And while she was, and I won't go into why, but it was a very awful, traumatic divorce for her. And we had just bought our house. So she ended up coming and staying with us for a few weeks so that she didn't have to be in the house with her her husband at the time. And that's when um, she started to get close with my husband. And of course, then we all you know, knew that we were all in an open style relationship. And that's that was the beginning of their relationship. But what ended up happening is our friendship is has completely changed. So I kind of like lost that friendship. And there were days or times in my life where I was kind of sad about that. And I guess also in in my whole journey of consensual non-monogamy, I've just kind of started to accept that I lose friends. But I mostly lose friends from the monogamous world. But I, I did lose her in, in the consensual non-monogamous world because I lost her to my husband in a way. But I guess I've just kind of gotten used to it. I know that probably sounds depressing, <laughs> but it's just true. You know, it's just true. So and there was only like moments of jealousy. Um, and now I've just come to a place of acceptance about it. I still love her. I just love her in a different way. And we're just not close friends. But we're good friends. And I know that I can call on her for absolutely anything. So I guess maybe that's why I'm not really sad about it. What about the topics that you discussed? Because I know that one of the questions that we discussed earlier is like, once you become metamorphs, what are the boundaries of what you're discussing? So was that that before, like maybe you talk about how you like certain things about your... your, And then now you don't because there's that relationship happening? Yeah, I guess when when we were in that like really close relationship, she would talk more about her feelings. And then we we started to get to the point where she would talk about her feelings about my husband and then something snapped. I maybe it was when she fell in love with him or I don't know, but then she just kind of stopped talking. So she just doesn't talk to me about her feelings anymore. Definitely not about my husband. But it's funny because I don't actually even feel jealous about it, but she doesn't talk about it. But we'll talk about lots of other things. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Hi, I'm Doug. And uh, my question is, so some of you in your example, for example, you're married and then you have other relationships. And I think a couple of you have that sort of scenario. I was under the impression that in polyamorous relationships, one person can't be primary, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, You know, and particularly if there's a monopoly connection, obviously that adds its own complexity. But what is your experience and is there a place, and if so, under what conditions, 
for one relationship to be the primary relationship in a polyamorous situation without it being judgmental or, you know, unfair, I guess. You can do what you want to do. Uh, you can be a, have a primary, you can do hierarchy, you can do not hierarchy. I think hierarchy gets a bad rap sometimes. And then there's like couple privilege and all those things. With, with ours, it became less about, it was like more of a, not a hierarchy, but priority. We lived together. We were splitting bills. Like, I'm sorry. Like we make this, if we share a bank account, that other person doesn't get to decide where my money goes. That's a different thing. Whereas if we didn't have the same bank account, I don't care what you do, but you know, you're not going to go to Hawaii for two weeks on my dime, you know, and I don't get to go fuck that. So for us, it became not about like hierarchy, but like we live together. These are things. So yes, we need to talk about when the other is going away because it's like, who's going to be with the cat. Who's going to wash the laundry. Who's doing these things. Who's taking care of the home. Whereas if we all live together, that would have been a different story. I guess it's different for everybody. Like now I think the relationship that I'm a part of as, as like the girlfriend I don't know if they, what they call it, but I, you know, I respect, respect it. They share a house, they have a kid, they don't share money. So it makes it easier for him to like decide to buy me presents or do things because it's not coming out of her bank account. I I respect that discussions need to be had between them before, before, but I'm privy. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to talk about it. We all talk about it. I kind of go like, oh, this is what I have going on. And so like, yep, you'll talk about it and we'll figure it out. Also, just to add to that, I mean, I think polyamory is like, like Lola said, as you make it right. And in um, my coaching, I, I, I coach around this idea of relationship by design. So um, I almost, the work that I do is get the relationship, design the relationship and then put a label on it for shorthand rather than sort of deciding what polyamory is and try to fit into that. I think as you design it, I think instead of thinking like, what is this language and find a definition for it and kind of fit yourself into that. Um, the process is almost the other way around, like design the relationship, figure out what it looks like for you in a way that everyone's thriving and then like find the nearest label um, for shorthand. But also like I always say, like labels will get you onto the same page with somebody. You need to have a conversation to get on the same paragraph. So and if somebody says to you, I'm poly, a good question to ask is what does that look like? And get them to tell you, like, what does that look like for them? Because I'm sure in, even around this room, if we asked 10 people who, who identifies polyamorous, they'll give you 10 different designs. So, yeah. Cool. Another question. I was wondering, so a lot of this has been about metamor to metamor relationships as, and I know a couple of you are in this um, circumstance as well, as the pivot or even as the metamors, where do you think the pivot's role is in helping keep a V function when it's not a triad, but when it is a V. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely the, the pivot in our household for sure, even though they also have other partners. So in their own way, they're, they're the pivot. And I think this is also probably very individual for me. I do kind of consider at this point, both of my partners, both a primary and I, I, do kind of prescribe a little bit to the hierarchical thinking, at least because some of it's just on paper too, right? I've got a, a marriage certificate with my husband and we, we own the house together. And I don't have that with my boyfriend, but we are all living in the same house together. So in terms of how we handle it, I, I, I tend to come from it from a place of, I want to be able to have enough energy to give to both of them as much as possible. And I'm a worry wart. So I also am constantly like, I'm trying not to worry. Like, are you okay? Are you okay? Am I giving you enough attention? You know, and I'm getting better about that. And also they're, they're both very secure people. And I just, in the beginning, when we were first kind of navigating all this, I just kept asking them, like, if you need something, you'll let me know. Right. And they're like, yes. You know, and they would keep giving me reassurance. So at this point I kind of, you know, believe them. I'm like, all right, if you need me, you'll let me know. And in terms of how we run the household, we were joking that this question always comes up. So just so happens the way our house is, I share um, the master bedroom with my husband. And then my boyfriend has like the whole bottom of the house that has, it's almost like its own little apartment. And I literally just, sometimes I sleep upstairs and sometimes I sleep downstairs. And it's just kind of is based on who has to get up in the morning, who needs a ride to work. 
that kind of a thing. And so it, it kind of just flows very nicely at this point. But I mean, there in the beginning, when we were trying to figure it out. There is a lot of emotional labor I felt I was doing, trying to make sure that they were both okay. And the relationship with my husband always tends to feel a little bit more secure because we've been together so long. And so it was always making sure that my boyfriend felt secure. And also because it's not his house, how do we make him feel welcome? And we're, we're kind of constantly working on all that. And then I also just see like, for example, my, um, my boyfriend being the pivot partner between me and his wife, I actually really feel for him when they are coming for those three weeks. I'm like, wow, how is he handling all this right now? You know, cause that's going to be really challenging. I can also take, you know, because I'm a pivot in, in one of my relationships where, where we live together. My design, our design, I should say, is kitchen table poly, which means that ideally we sit around a table and break bread and sort of share good vibes. Um, so what I try to do for my um, partner and my partners is to provide that kitchen table. So every now and then we'll do a family brunch um, or something there where we all get together and, and hang out. And I feel like that nurtures that relationship. And that's usually my contribution to that relationship. So uh, observing a pivot, because I'm not the pivot, my partner is, is something we've learned is that I stay out of their business. Like not, I know what's going on, but I don't try to address things that are happening between them with her. That's not my business. I sometimes like he will ask my opinion on things and I will talk to him. And it's always, he's like, oh, like, what do you think? Should I? And I'm like, oh, you know. Maybe, but don't do it that way because she'll slap you in your face where I've become a little bit of an advocate of like knowing her. Like I feel really good about as much as I know her. But when it comes to things where it's about her emotions or something with us, then I will we talk. She and I talk and and like we dabble in that way. But he's really good at saying like, oh, she's feeling uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, I'll bring it up. Like, we'll talk. And so that's where he, he's done a really great job as a pivot is like not trying to talk to us about what like I don't hear. Like, I know relationship stuff, but he doesn't like bring that to me and he doesn't take that to her. But he's kind of there of like, hey, somebody's feeling a little whatever. And like, OK, we can all talk. Let's all get on the phone or Marco Polo or whatever the hell we're using at the time. I love Marco Polo, but yeah. Can I ask a follow-up question as it relates to that and kind of pivoting? So as the pivot, it sounds like you're saying that the, the, he maintains responsibility to not overshare with you so that it doesn't impact your relationship with the metamorph. Right. Because if she's having a spin out moment and feeling really like, like again, you're having a spit out moment. We all get there. We're like, you're like, this is me. There were a time I was, when you said that, I was like, oh, I've been there with, with her. I was like, she doesn't like me and she she thinks I'm trying to like ruin their marriage. And it wasn't, it was just, he was being really shitty about, he wasn't being, he was just like telling me things and telling her things, but he has ADHD and he wasn't completing sentences. And we were like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and when we all three spoke to each other, it was like, Oh, this is your fault. We we've been on the same page. This is your fault. So when she, when we have those spin outs, I appreciate that. Like I'm able to be like, <sighs> about her like oh I feel like kind of angry about something she's doing and just venting a little bit and then he's like oh it's not like that but he doesn't go run and tell her that he'll say like you know what I'm saying I think we all need to like get on the phone because again I don't I don't get to see her often great um so before I wrap up I want to sort of go down and ask um sort of for, want something for everyone to add and then I want to wrap up what would be the one piece of advice that you'd give to people in a way that will help their relationship with their metamors? What is the one thing that you've figured out in, within your relationship through experience that you want to share with everyone and be like, this is going to be my pro tip? As a metamor, I always try to practice like, oh, I hate the phrase happy wife, happy life. But like, I want I'm there to make their life better. If I am detracting in any way, that's going to be a problem for me. Um, so I want to be there to enrich. And that's always my goal is like, I don't want anybody to ever feel like I'm taking away. I want to be adding to. And if it's ever in a space where I feel like I'm taking away, like I want to deal with that. And maybe that's not a relationship because I don't want somebody overly focusing and then fucking things up. Like I'm a big person who'll be like, oh, like, mm, did you talk to her about that first? Because I don't, I don't want to be that. Like I've had that in my life and it's a very destructive force and I don't want to ever be that. So yeah, it's just like try to keep my side of the street clean and, and be good to everybody. Not just the person you're fucking. I would say I think it overlaps with what you said, but I would say empathy 
to really come from a place uh, certainly of self empathy, you know, if you're having a, a rough day, but, but trying to, you know, really get in the other person's shoes and have empathy for wherever they are on the journey and also to help them feel safe. And so feel, helping them feel safe might also be not just blurting, not being blurtatious uh, in a bad moment. And, uh, you know, sometimes just, you know, looking inward before you speak. So I think empathy and safety, I would say. I would say be kind and be genuine like in yourself and also ask for what you need from every person in the relationship, whether it's your metamor or your partner or any of the other extended people. <laughs> And I think one, uh, what I'll add to that is see the person, see your metamor as an individual um, before you see them as your metamor, as before you see them as like their relationship with your partner or whatever that is. But just see the individual first um, before you put them into context of everything else and see if you can appreciate the person and the, who they are. Remain curious about them. Just remain curious, get to know them if it's available. Uh, and I think that just seeing them as an individual without out of the context of the relationship is a good place to start. Uh, so I'm going to wrap up. Before I do, I just want to say a quick round of thank yous. First and foremost, thank you so much, panelists, my panelists. If you enjoyed these revisited episodes and you'd like to hear the stories of others, if you missed experiencing in-person events, then we encourage you to check out We Are Curious Foxes on Patreon. We've posted over 50 videos of our educator-led events, both the ones facilitated in person and in Zoom, including Jesse Fresh and the Erotic Blueprints, Adam B and Tantric Exploration of Pleasure, Pain and Grief, Angie Gunn on Attachment Patterning and Sexual Exploration, Diane Adams on Legal Tips that You Need to Know to Set Up Your Non-Traditional Family for Success, Stella Harris on Pillow Talk and Sexting, Lola Jean on Adding a Third to Your Relationship, Intro to Kink, Mapping Out the Vulva, Nonviolent Communication, and so much more. Ooh. Plus, we have podcast extras and fun clips from Effie and I, so go to Patreon, support our community, and get access to all of these goodies. And many thanks to Levita Digby, Olive3, WWW, B. Jennings, Bert, Soliloquence, Laurel Land, Yogi Amber, Little Chili. And if you want to be on this list of rock star people, then leave us a review on Apple Podcast. You can get your weekly dose of curiosity by subscribing to us on Apple Podcast or following us on Spotify and Stitcher. And while you're there, be like those people, share a review, rate us, share it with some curious folk in your life. And if you want to tell us what about the podcast moments have felt impactful, what topics you'd like us to explore, if you want to share your story with us, then you can do that by emailing us or sending us a voice memo at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com. Or you can record a question for the show by calling us at 201-870-0063. You can also engage with us and find lovely photos of your podcast hosts on Instagram or Facebook. You can find us at We Are Curious Foxes and our personal pages at Coach Effie Blue and at Jacqueline Misla on Instagram. And while you're there, click on that blue follow button and add some curiosity, some insight, and some inspiration into your feed. This episode is produced and edited by Nina Pollock. Just as we never quite considered the power of a metamor relationship, we too didn't know how powerful having the right editor could be. Our intro music is composed by Dave Saha. We are so grateful for their work. And we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox Podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind. And we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.